genre. It's Franchiseography, the podcast that digs deep into the entire filmographies of Hollywood's biggest film franchises. I'm Nick Jimenez. I'm Scott Corelli. And it's a between episode. We did it, Scott. We covered we all the Judd Apatow movies. Even the even the bubble. <laughs> even the bubble. It's always so weird. Uh, so this is a between episode where we will uh, cover the, the transition period from one series into another. Mm-hmm. And... It's. I feel weird, man. Um, it 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 feels kind of bittersweet uh, that we're on the other side of the Apatow series. Yeah. Um, I feel a sense of I, triumph, but also like, oh shit! Like all, we're all things must pass. You know. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, there there's always a sense of that at the end of every miniseries. I think this one is is particularly bittersweet because I think that. It's a, it was a very different miniseries from Wes Anderson the last time we did like a filmmaker as a franchise, mm-hmm. and in that like all of those movies like generally like held up really well, whereas yeah. like Apatow was much more of a mixed bag, mm-hmm. um, and I think that like yeah like I could see you know Apatow wasn't my guy the way that he was your guy I mean he was sure. your miniseries. Um, and so I'm curious how you feel on the other side of it, you know, having sort of grown up with this guy as a, as a guy you didn't, I, I wouldn't say idolize, but like as a guy that you like looked up to and was like, oh yeah, like that's the cream of the crop, like of comedy directors right now. Like, how do you feel now on the other side of it, looking back at his, at his very mixed bag filmography? I definitely, I would, I would comfortably, I would say idolized back when I was like a teenager Okay, of, of like, that was the career that I thought I wanted to have when I was 17, 18 years old. Yeah. Yeah. It's like making honest comedies about like life and friendship and love with like mm-hmm. people that you loved and cared about. Like that just seemed like the platonic ideal. Um, yeah. And it, but then like, it's so weird. Cause that, that bleeds into like a web, you know, like evil dead, Sam Raimi, mm-hmm. Wes Anderson, Mm-hmm. Spy Kids, Robert Rodriguez. Right, right. I, I I'm drawn to that, and I find meaning in that because like movies have are such a part of my life, mm-hmm. and so I guess it makes sense now that I've I've want to attach meaning to that more than like um just a job or a thing, which is why like I'm not re- like you know I, I like whether it's Geek by Night or writing with you like finding these like close friendships to like make stuff with. It isn't just like, eh, it's a gig. Right. Um, Like I was having a conversation with a friend of mine at a bar the other day. And we were talking about how we were doing behind the scenes stuff for uh, the, our next series that we're going to announce at the end of this episode. Uh-huh. And my, my friend that I was talking with, who's been like a crew member on a bunch of movies and worked on some big stuff, but at a very ground level 
was like, God, I kind of, I kind of like, you guys are so romantic about it. And all I can think about is like, I know a guy that cheated on his wife on that set. Like, sure. All, and, and it's like, I think we, I've been able to carry this romantic part of filmmaking into adulthood because of that in a way. Yeah. Um, but you're right. It was a mixed bag, which makes it really interesting. Like sometimes it's not in, I mean, the Wes Anderson series was so much fun and mm-hmm. it it got, it got crazy how movie after movie after movie, there just wasn't a miss. Yeah. But also I think we mind really, we had really cool conversations about some of the misses in this series and us kind of yeah. trying to like workshop them a little bit. Right. 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 Um, yeah, no, I definitely agree with that. It's just, it's, it, it is interesting. The things like, I think that Apatow is a filmmaker who really each of his movies works the best at the time of their release. Yeah. And that reminds me of what we talked about when the, it's with the bubble, which is like all of his references tend to be very era specific. Right. Like, I think he just sees that as the honest thing to do. Um, yeah, yeah, because he's so obsessed with honesty. <laughs> kind of, kind of like our kind of like podcasts. You, you've always made a point of, uh, of our podcast being very evergreen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Even going back to Back to the Future minute of like, hey, don't talk about the election as much, or yeah, or the weather, the or... weather that day in that city that you're in. Yeah. And maybe it was the Apatow, residual Apatow in my DNA of like wanting to be very immediate and honest about the circumstances right now. Sure. Well, that's also, I mean, I think that's also just generally, um, Mm -hmm. you know, I've never studied improv, but I feel like that's an improv thing of just like, I got to pull, I I have to talk and say something. So (laughs) I'm just going to pull from like what I'm seeing around the room or what I'm thinking about what's on the top of my head, because that's the fastest thing that I can pull from. That's true. Yeah. And so that's where I think that's where a lot of that comes from is is that improv background that both you and Apatow have. Yeah. Like whether it's stand up or improv, if like Mm -hmm. if someone scoots their chair really loudly, the comedic the comedic instinct is to call attention to it and make a joke about it. Instead of right. like keeping the facade of like, nope, that didn't happen. We're keeping, right? You know, keeping the show going. Yeah, which is why it's so difficult to, I think, make good movies about stand up and improv. Um, yeah, be- because like, in order to do it honestly, you kind of have to date it a little bit. Um, yeah, you know, like, yeah. So it's 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 interesting. Um, you it, have to be okay with, a, yeah. Yeah, it's a tricky. I think it's a tricky thing, because um, it's such an in the moment kind of thing that like it's difficult to like go back and rewatch improv performances, right? Even if you filmed it, it's it's a little. It's not as it's not the same, you know, no. as being in the room when it happened. Yeah, I've never really wanted to watch. Like there was that uh, Middle Ditch and Schwartz thing on Netflix like a year ago. Yeah, yeah. And I yeah. never, I never felt the need to watch that. I have gotten into the habit over the past few weeks of going back here in LA to UCB and just going to see improv. Yeah. Like not even necessarily like, Oh, that guy's on TV, but just who are the, uh, God, man, like this past week, like Wednesday night, um, you know, I, I, it was like, I went to go see an improv show at like 10 at night because, uh, also a weird thing about this Apatow series 
on a meta level is without planning to, I kind of, I feel like I lived a Judd Apatow movie while we were doing the series Mm -hmm. where I kind of, I accidentally went through a coming of age crucible. Right. Where, um, you know, there's like that bleachers song. I didn't know I was broke until I wanted to change. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I was like, Oh shit. I think I have to do my equivalent of like, you know, I, I haven't I haven't smoked weed in a, in a few weeks, and like I'm I'm literally like reprogramming my brain to like mm-hmm. my habits are changing, where I've been going out more and being more social and like doing different stuff. And so yeah, I've been going to an I went I've been went to an improv show at like ten o'clock at night, um, mm-hmm. because I was like I still have energy left. I'm not <laughs> I I, I want to go out and be around people. I'm not lethargic. Yeah, I'm not I'm not lethargic and anxious and whatever. Um, yeah. So it it was really weird though, like being there that night and looking around and seeing kids who were like where I was a few years ago, like in their mid twenties and hungry and like mm. in their little improv troops and like having such like, oh, this is look at these kids. I got their whole lives in front of them, you know? Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Man. <laughs> that's like that was like that's like your that's like your last scene in your Apatow movie. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Just yeah. the uh, weird the only the only big distinction is like no like zero love interest. Right. Yeah, that's true. That would be the big studio note is like, uh can you meet a girl? Can there he just uh he's 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 been in Texas for like ten days. What's is this the rest of the movie? Oh he's back. He's back in LA. Okay, oh he's cool. back. Okay. <laughs> I was listening I think funny people might be the best movie I've ever seen about stand up. And that's not a perfect yeah. movie. No, no. I, I'm I'm trying to think of a better one because all the all the other ones that I can think of aren't really about stand up. They just have stand up in them, like The Big sure. Sick, which is a much better movie than Funny People. Yeah, but isn't about stand up. It's about you know Emily V. Gordon's sickness. Yeah, um, yeah. And uh, and and dealing with parents. Uh, and then and then uh um the other one uh the Jenny Slate one. Which is about oh, abortion. obvious child, obvious child, yeah. But that's really about abortion, not stand up. So like she just ha- that, she, yeah, yeah. She just happens to be a stand up in both right. cases, right, right. Um, there's a Tom Hanks movie from back in the '80s that I watched on Netflix because of Funny People called oh. Punchline. Right, I remember here. I, I've never seen this, but I've heard of it. I remember liking it. It's like him and Sally Field. Yeah. And then improv, the only good improv movie, really improv movie period that I can think of is, did you ever see Don't Think Twice? Yes. That was yeah. the one that was in my mind. When oh, I was, cool, cool, cool. Yeah. That's, that's, I saw that in theaters. I really, really, really want Mike Birbiglia to make another movie, but he takes like 10 years between each one. Um, and then, I yeah. think he is, this is such a weird pull, but I think he's this generation's um, Albert Brooks. Oh, yeah. No, for sure. Where Albert Brooks would be like, he'd come out with a movie and then it would be like seven years before he'd do another one. But he'd be in other people's movies, but mm-hmm. he wouldn't make another of his own for like a long time. And he also does these like, uh, Mark Birbiglia does these like one man shows on Broadway, it seems like. Right, right, right. That take, um, you know, are hugely personal works. But and if you don't live in New York and don't make go into Broadway money, you don't have access right. to those. Right. But and, and for uh, he does take them on tour. Um, oh, okay, cool, cool, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but the uh, yeah, so for a while, I thought he was doing like a one for me, one for them 
like a uh, 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 scripted movie and then a one man show, a scripted movie, one man. But he's done like three one man shows in a row since <laughs> Don't Look, Don't Don't Think Twice or whatever. Yeah. Um, and uh, uh, yeah, I don't know if he's I don't know if that movie just like flops so hard uh, that he's not going to get to make another one right away or what happened there. But um, I mean, what's a flop these days? You know, I like, don't know. Yeah, but that was that came out before these days. That's so it's like a yeah. That was like almost that like, was almost a, like yeah. That was a long time ago. I saw that I saw that in Indiana at like a at like a landmark in Indi- in Indianapolis. I like went out of my way to go see that. There's quite a few Apatow alumni in that movie. You got Berbigula from Trainwreck. Yep. You got Keegan Michael Key from The yep. Bubble. Yep. Gillian Jacobs from Love. Right. Yeah. Man, that's a good movie. It really um, is. Sleepwalk with me is also really good. Never seen um, it. Really? No, I haven't seen oh. it. Oh man, it's good. It's really good. Um, it yeah, he's he's a really really good director. Uh, I wish he would make another movie. Um, but anyway, I think. Well, so what were your what were your thoughts going through again? You know, he wasn't one of your guys. You were kind of looking at it. I I, I kind of I accidentally set you up with like a really good writing exercise these past few weeks. Yeah, I that's what I was really like honing in on was like what his writing structure is like. And I think that, you know, what I learned is I think that from his perspective, the five act structure works the best for him because the way that he seems to write is like he has these little these smaller sections of a larger movie that he knows like the general points that he wants to hit. And then he just sort of improvs around them until it's time to switch gears. Yeah. Um, and he just does that five times and then he's got a movie. Um, but the problem I think with Apatow is that he gets lost in, in the trees and, and loses sight of the forest as a result. And so I don't, I don't think his movies hold up quite as well as they they could have if he was willing to take a step back, look at the movie as a whole and do another pass that like really brings the hones the movie in to like a, a fully structured story, I, you know, without losing the five act structure. But I think he just it's very messy. All of his all of his writing is very messy because it's I think he just kind of is like, well, I'm just I, I, I wrote this because uh, like, you know. We talk about this all the time, especially for you, because you write so much faster than I do. Mm-hmm. Writing is a lot like improv for you because you're just like, I give you the I give you like what the scene is about. And then you're just like, OK, and you just blast it out like as like, you know, as quickly as you can. For sure. And that's something that I envy about you. But, you know, the other side of that, you look at Apatow, he doesn't have somebody like me to like then hone it back in. And instead, he just releases that because no, he's like sure. i'm excited about this right now and so i'm gonna uh, make it right now and it's gonna be great and people will love it and then like boom that's it um no, yeah, yeah definitely like i think about um because like, yeah like w- without you i think i can look back at my scripts and be like oh wait no i already said this i mean it's, you know there's there definitely with geek by night there's so many instances of without you and Cass, it's like oh i already said this or Wow, a character says this thing like four times. Yeah, I'm repeating myself, or I, I haven't, or I, and I'm in like I've tried writing by myself. There's like a script that I've been working on for like almost five years now, and I very quickly feel rudderless without 
you know, a Scott Corelli outline or someone to bounce off of. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I mean, he, he he has worked with a co-writer more often than not in retrospect. Yeah. But at the end of the day, he is he is like kind of the author of these movies. Right. right. Well, but and, and he is the author. But like even with a co-writer, he's the boss. Like you always get the sense that like he's the boss. And so when he says the script is done and we're ready to roll. Even if the yeah. other writer was like, uh, I don't know, I think we could do another few passes. If Judd Apatow was like, no, it's fine. We're, we're going to start shooting it next week. It's raw. It's honest. Yeah. Yeah. What are you going to what, what can you what can you say? You know, what can you right. what can you do about that? He's always the godfather. He's always the right. mentor. Right. Whether it's Carell or Schumer or Davidson. Right. You know, you, you said something at the very beginning of at 40 year old in our 40 year, 40 year old virgin episode where you, you talked about the finesse of a comedian mm-hmm. of like going out like Jerry Seinfeld once kept a joke in his pocket for a year because he didn't like there was one word that wasn't right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I kind of wonder what would his movies be like if he had that same discipline of yeah. cutting and cutting and cutting and refining and refining, which is how we write. Like, right. Like sometimes my frustration is like, but I, I trust you so much now as a writer that, the reason it took a year to write an episode of Geek by Night is like, no, Scott wouldn't. I know as soon as he's satisfied, we're we're good. Mm. And without you, I may be okay with. I've literally said this with like, no enemy, you know, per, you know, uh, perfect is the enemy of of done. And right, sure. Let, let's just get it out there and whatever. Like at least it'll be we can put it behind us. And yeah, and but I'm very proud of how. Per evergreen and and well aged our our geek by night episodes are after all these years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, me too, me too. Um, yeah, it's weird that Apatow is like that. What's interesting is I wonder what kind of improv background he has because, to the best of my knowledge and everything you've talked about, his background is in stand up, yeah. and so it's weird that he isn't that. He doesn't have that discipline when it comes to movies. And I almost wonder if at some point, somewhere before, like in the late 90s or whatever, he discovered improv Mm -hmm. and improv comedians and was so enamored by that and by their philosophy of just like, just throw it out. Just throw it out there. Um, If it doesn't hit, whatever. There's going to be seven jokes behind it. It doesn't matter. Just throw it out there. Get it out. You know? Um, That... He got so enamored by that that without any training, like any like actual real improv training, he just went full bore into improv. And I think that that was a mistake for him. I would love to see him make a movie that is as honed as stand up tends to be. That's I've never I haven't thought about that this whole time. But yeah, like if you say if you go up to someone who like knows movies or just someone who goes to the movies and like, hey, Judd Apatow, what do you think of? You're like, oh, yeah, he's he makes those ones where they just improv the whole time. Yeah. And you probably wouldn't be aware like, oh, he's a stand up. He. OK, but. Right. Uh, yeah. Uh, have I told you the Ben Stiller show story? Um, I, I think know. I learned I think I learned this. I think this is like King of Staten Island homework that I learned this. But someone asked him that he was like, well, how did you pick this up? The riff 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 rama school of filmmaking. And he told this story about how he was shooting an episode of the Ben Stiller show. And the sketch was Ben Stiller was an agent 
and he was yelling at these like real life celebrities that were making cameos mm. um like Shaquille O'Neal like really random people okay and so they would leave and then Apatow was like well you know another another hard day's work and Ben Stiller was like no 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 we're going to keep working for like another couple hours just film my coverage and I'm going to just say shit and I'm going to say stuff I wouldn't say to Shaquille O'Neal's face mm-hmm. but I'm going to go a little harder and tell and Jed Apatow was like oh my god he has like a hundred more jokes in his pocket yeah he's just going off and he was like that really inspired me to like oh you can do that you can just keep saying stuff over and over again and then find the right one months weeks later in the edit mm-hmm mm-hmm that's because I think I think from his perspective, the way that his he is merging these philosophies, the mm-hmm. the the stand up philosophy with the improv philosophy is that the improv is on set and the stand up is in the edit. Oh, good. Yeah, for sure. I think I and, and the test screenings and all of that. I think that's his, his thought process is that's how I get into the stand. I'm I'm an improv. I'm an improv comedian on set and I'm a stand up comedian in the edit bay. Um, yeah. And through the test screenings in post. And I think that that works to a certain extent. But the problem is that you can't change any of the structure. Right. Yeah. All you, can, you just... can do is make is pick the best joke and time it out the best. But you can't make the movie better. You can make it funnier, but you can't make it better. And 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 like adding a bunch of really funny jokes that work really well the first time that you see the movie and kind of. Uh, you know, because I think I think it's fair to say that like about sixty percent of the jokes in all of these movies aren't laugh out loud moments after you've seen them once. Um, no, for sure. And 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 that might even be a generous percentage. I don't know, but but uh, yeah, you can make a really funny movie, but is it a good movie? Is it is it a movie with like a really good story and really good character arcs? No, because you can't change that in the edit. It's already shot. And so I think that I think the two philosophies, while I understand what he's doing, I think that he needs to work on the story longer in a stand up comedian way, make a fucking badass script. Mm-hmm. And maybe the script doesn't have that many jokes in it. Maybe it's just funny situations that he's yeah. like, I'll fill that shit in later when we're shooting mm-hmm. it. But I need to have a really good structure, really good character arcs, really good story. And then we can have fun on set as long as we have those things. But I don't think he's focused on those things. I think he just thinks, I will hone all of this in the edit. And I think you yeah. saw his movies get sloppier and sloppier as a result until he got to King of Staten Island, which had three voices, right? Yeah. It had it had himself, it had Pete Davidson, it had that other writer. And mm-hmm. I think that Pete Davidson stood between Judd Apatow and that other writer to be like, no, we actually need to have a good story that's meaningful and a, and a, and a structure. And then we can find all that other stuff. And if it doesn't play, we just cut it out. Um, yeah. No, yeah, and I think that King of Staten Island is his best movie as a result. Not to spoil my ranking, but <laughs> you know, I think that's I think that's that's why it works so well is because there was someone standing between him and his partner, his creative partner. No, for sure, there is a, you know, he he remains to this day a very self deprecating person. Um, yeah, at least publicly, like I don't I don't think you become Judd Apatow without a little bit of an ego and a little bit of confidence. You know, sure. Um, Every everybody in Hollywood has has that, you know. For sure. 
You, ha- yeah. you have to, because you, you have to be a little bit of a crazy narcissist, like 1% of a crazy narcissist to, to get in there, <laughs> you know? Just to, just, just to be like, oh, I'm going to stay in this Barracuda tank for 30 years. <laughs> right, yeah. No, I, I, I think I'm going to be the one to survive these Barracudas. I, I'm not going to die. I'll be okay. Yeah, yeah. And But, you know, going into- Oh, they're like, pouring it- piranhas in the tank now? That's great, because that's going to get rid of all that competition, but I'm still going to be here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely, 100%. Oh, yeah. that sucks for everyone else, but I'll, I'll be, I can make it. I can swim. <laughs> yeah. Because sometimes you're right. Sometimes you can swim. Um, right. Or you just randomly, you don't get eaten by barracudas. But yeah, going into the bubble, you know, you mentioned, wow, these cliff beasts actually look pretty legit. Yeah. And he talked about like the meetings and the Zoom meetings and the go working with ILM and like stuff that directors like James Gunn and Sam Raimi and Colin Trevorrow and J.J. Abrams know all too well, which is like, no, every frame of this movie takes hours and hours of boring talk and like design and intention. And he came away from that being like, yeah, I'm 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 dumb, dumb. I, I can't do that. I'm just I'm just a dumb comedic guy. And yeah, and you're like, but you're you're not you you're not though. Like, you don't. And like, I think that goes like the movies. His, a lot of his movies are very disposable, because yeah. I think if you were to ask him, it's like, well, no, who's going to be watching these twenty years from now? I'm worried about people watching this in '09 or '07, like whenever they right. come out, right? Because I'm just making dumb, you know, dick and fart joke movies. Yeah, because I mean, I think I think, and again, it's that it's like what we talked about the the last man in black or last man in, in uh, San Francisco mm-hmm. um, thing. Uh, you can't you can't hate it unless you love it, and yeah, he just doesn't he doesn't love it, and it's like so like yeah, he is bored by that stuff. But you know who's probably not bored? James Gunn. He probably fucking loves all of those conversations of getting really deep in the weeds because he's really interested in this stuff and has a stake in it. Whereas, you know, Judd Apatow is like, I don't know. They're making a fucking dumb dinosaur movie. Just make them look like dinosaurs. I don't give a shit. You know? Yeah. 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 That, that's not, or I think about like James Gunn is a great reference because you look at Slither and super, he was this very like juvenile humor, gross out guy. But then yeah. came of age and was like, no, I'm going to make these like razor sharp, really heartfelt movies yeah also like john favreau yeah was very very judd apatow figure of like i'm a a comedy guy i do jokes i'm in friends but then somewhere around elf and zathora he just matured in a way of like no i'm going to really dive into the special effects and the technical and become a really masterful technical filmmaker right right um god do you think he's ever gonna make a movie again I don't know because he's he's sort of he's in his like Jay Z mode where he's he's yeah. a he's a businessman, not a businessman. I, I was so surprised that they announced Filoni directing that Star Wars movie and not and not him. Um, just yeah. just because I'm like you've been, I know ever like he doesn't get any of the credit that that uh, that that um, Filoni gets in terms of like the creative side of all of this. Like mm-hmm. it, it, he's been usurped. Right. Like Mando started off as like a, a Johnny Favs thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Devin Faraci or Devin Faraci. Jesus. Um, then <laughs> Dave Filoni. Then Filoni. Dave Filoni stepped in uh, and just sort of usurped all of it and became kind of king of the world over there. And John Favreau just sort of like, eh, OK, 
Like, yeah. he just sort of, like, let it happen, you know, and just is, like, rolling with it. And so I was just really surprised, considering he, I don't think he's directed any episodes of any of that Star Wars stuff. Um, no, I'm, I don't, I can't, I think he might have directed some Mando season one, but I don't know if he's coming back. I don't think he did, because I think I remember being surprised that he had. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, um, I think he's kind of, like, ironically, kind of like George Lucas, where maybe he's, like, become yeah. the dude that just walks around and says, like, yes to yeah. stuff. And fine tunes and mentors, but doesn't like. I think his yeah. last. I'm pretty sure his last film was Lion King. Yes. Which, not the which most... is like a real part time directing gig, because right. like, the you know the VFX team did most of the work. Um, yeah, like most of that job is like like you know like we're talking about is like sitting in rooms with artists and technicians looking at stuff and being like, so this is how this is what Zazu's gonna look like, right? And it's like, okay, maybe make the feathers more like this. Okay. Yeah, right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Um anyway, Apatow, I think it was a I think it was an interesting era for the show. It's very different from any any other franchise we've ever done. Mm-hmm. Um and yeah, I I think he's just so interesting because he's launched so many careers. And you've just watched him as a filmmaker sort of sink lower and lower in popularity yeah. and take more and more of a backseat. When you look at Seth Rogen, Jason Siegel, Evan Goldberg, mm-hmm. Lena Dunham, mm-hmm. to say nothing of his daughters, Iris Apatow, Maud Apatow. Right. In the end, I've had this thing floating in my head for a few weeks now. That he, he is what they grew beyond. Yes. But that is the burden of all masters. Yes. Yeah. And and it happens take... like pretty instantly mm-hmm. for almost everyone that it's in one of his movies. Um right. like generally yeah. speaking, it, it was like it was like, you know, Steve Carell, boom, off like a rocket at right after that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you had you had Seth Rogen, he stuck it through two movies, but at the end of Funny People, he was like, Okay, man, I gotta I gotta go do my own thing. I'll I'll, t- yeah. I'll see you later. You know, I'm gonna do um, Green Hornet. Yeah, and that was that was that for him, and then uh, and and become a, a director in his own right. Yeah. Um, and and uh, and then you have like Amy Schumer. I mean, you have his daughters, obviously, and then you have like Amy Schumer, um, who who quickly uh, moved on uh, and never looked back, and uh, and now we're. I think Pete Davidson's the most interesting one who I don't think has grown beyond. Uh, Apatow, but also his movie came out in an awkward spot. Um, yeah, yeah, and like, he was already he even. He couldn't even leave uh, SNL right away after that. You know, right? Yeah. yeah, and like, and we we said this on our King of Staten Island episode. He was probably the most already famous going into his Apatow movie. Yes, definitely. But definitely, I think that speaks to his humility mm-hmm. of like, yeah, cool. I'm proud of them. You know, like. I'm just, I'm, I'm just, I'm just a, I'm just like a, a dumb guy that makes movies. I lucked out. Like, of course, of course I work with people more talented than me that he, he says over and over again, whether it's like Brie Larson or John Cena of like, I'm tricking them. They don't know that they should be bigger stars and I trick them into working with me. Mm-hmm. And maybe that is why he hasn't had this level up that we expect filmmakers to have. Yeah. I would love to see him make a heavily structured 
movie, like just to really go all in on something um, and make something like, you know, like his fucking masterwork, right? Whatever right. that is. Mm-hmm. Um, and make it with established people. Right. Yeah. You know, like I would love to see what him not making a non-comedy because plenty of comedies win Oscars, but I would be interested to see what his version of like, you know what? I'm I'm never going to do this again, but I'm going to go for an Oscar once. Sure. See what happens, you know? Yeah. And what that what does that movie look like? Who does it star? You know what I mean? You know, because uh, he brings up movies like Robert Altman. Yeah. Like the works of like Nashville, MASH, The Last Waltz, um, yeah. the films of James L. Brooks. Yeah. Albert Brooks. Right. And yeah, like that kind of movie where he works with like, yeah, like an established cast yeah. of like telling, telling like a more adult story, telling his story as opposed to helping someone else tell their story. Right. Right. But maybe he doesn't have any stories left. Maybe he's too far removed at this point, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's kind of what we, we, we gleam from the bubble, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it, you know, I'd, I'd also really like to see him um, play a little more in genre fair, not blockbuster genre, but like imagine him making his Defending Your Life. Yeah, like something a bit more high concept. A little more high. I would love to see him work with something that's high concept. I think that would be really cool because I think that would be like a good cheat for him to be like, okay, I can't just improv this one. Like, I do need to have a story because this is a high concept. And then we can, like, have fun in the scenes on the set. But, like, I do need to, like, have this set or it's not going to work. Um, yeah. It would, like, force him to do what we're talking about, you know? Yeah. So, you know, the franchiseography of it all. This is our mm-hmm. second comedy series, after miniseries, after Wes Anderson. Yes. Which is interesting. Those They're both filmographies as opposed to, like, you know, Austin Powers, Austin Powers 2 and so forth. Yeah, and we're and we're getting our, our uh, follow up to Wes Anderson next week on the show, right? Yes, on the other side of Apatow. Yeah, can't wait. We both have already seen the movie. Isn't that weird? By the time they listen to this, <laughs> yo, that's true. Yeah. And each Wes Anderson movie was such a treat to revisit because it's he's he every movie you immediately see the poster or the trailer and you're like, mm-hmm. oh, okay, this is this is him doing this. It's like mm-hmm. I want to explore. I want to go under the sea. I want to go to a, a summer, summer, summer vacation, nostalgic island or France, black and white, Jean-Luc Godard, you know, right. like, and all those movies feel so alive, as intricate as well and well crafted, intricately crafted as they are. They have these moments of spontaneity that feel very alive. And to counter that with Apatow, which he kind of seems like just kind of interested in doing one thing again and again and again. Right, right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Man. Well, you want to see how different our rankings are or if they're exactly the same? <laughs> I have a feeling they're going to, I mean, you know, uh, our Star Trek ones ended up being pretty similar. That's true. Uh, but we'll see. So I, I think, so I think it's fair to so say, how, how many movies were there? Eight? Seven. Seven. Um, so uh, do you want to start or should I start? One, two, three. Well, it's your it's your mini series. So, okay. do you want to do you want to start or do you want to end? I will start. I'll start. Okay. Uh, so, listeners, just to recap, this is sort of our thing: is like, what is the likelihood of us revisiting this on our own, not having a podcast about it? Right. 
Um, as well as like, I think this one's better than this one. But right, right. Uh, to the surprise of absolutely no one <laughs> listening to this, uh, my number seven is the bubble. Hard same. I think I like this less than you. I and I didn't like it. No, um, you didn't at all. You gave it yeah. one star on Letterboxd. Yes. Um. Oh gosh. Uh. Yeah. I mean, like flashes of joy. Like you know. But wait, wait, when you're when you're like for favorite part of the movie is just like Leslie Mann rollerblade dancing. Like that's not. Yeah. Great. No, that's not good. That's not good. Um. Yeah, I mean, we were we were dying of thirst in the desert, you know. So yeah. like, that's oh, she's that's pretty. She's really talented. Yeah. Oh, it's over. <laughs> Water. Water. Uh, <laughs> I just want to laugh, please. <laughs> yeah. So, but here's my follow up question with the bubble: oh. better or worse than Spy Kids four? So yes. So uh, for we we've been speculating. We're like, oh, you know, because Spy Kids four is the to to date was the worst movie we had ever covered on franchiseography. Yes. I think this is worse than Spy Kids 4 mm. because that still feels like a Robert Rodriguez movie. Mm. You've got Jeremy Piven as like the clock TikTok, the clock king. Yeah. That just wants to freeze time because he his dad died and he is scared about time passing. Like mm-hmm. there's an, you know, uh, uh, Jessica Alba being the stepmom. Like there's heart there. This almost the bubble feels like a betrayal of everything Apatow stands for as a filmmaker. So I don't disagree with absolutely anything that you're saying. I a hundred percent agree with everything that just came out of your mouth. That being said, gun to my head, you have to watch spy kids Four or the bubble. Which one is it? I think, I think I, I think I'd rather rewatch the bubble than ever watch spy wow. kids Four again. Yeah. There's like a full like extra half hour, of movie in there. Yeah, I know. I know. But if, articulate- I, if I'm forced to watch it like Clockwork Orange style, eyes okay. open, yeah, I I think I gotta I think I, yeah, I don't know. You know, it's a it's a it's a it's a very it's a very handsome cast. Like yeah, Karen Gillan always great to watch. Um, Pedro Pascal, of course. Like when they're you know, it's like kind of fun to watch him having fun. Um, yeah, I think we're both really excited about like Iris Apatow. The yeah. Young writer, filmmaker, potentially. I think I'm also just more entertained by the failure, entertained and interested by the failure of the bubble versus the failure of Spy Kids 4. Okay. Um, Which Spy Kids 4 doesn't feel like it's failing to do what it's set out to do. It's just that what it's set out to do is something I have zero interest in participating in. For sure. Um, yeah. And that's, and I think that's, I think that's ultimately the problem. Like, I don't think that there's a better version of Spy Kids 4. Whereas I do think that there is, there could have been a better version of the bubble. And I there's think there's more, more of your brain to chew that. on. Yeah. I think that's, yeah, there's more crevices to fall into, whereas I just have to. Abs- I'm forced to just absorb Spike Kids for. <laughs> You're like, oh god, <laughs> yeah. Ricky Gervais is a talking dog. Oh fuck, I forgot about the dog. No, <laughs> <laughs> his name was Argonaut. Oh Jesus. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, bubble hard same. Bottom of the list, definitely. Hope hope it's I hope it's the worst thing he ever makes. That would be great. (laughs) (laughs) 
And and uh, isn't it so funny that that's a positive thing to say after a movie comes out, but before it's like the most negative thing you can ever say. I hope this is the worst thing he ever makes. <laughs> Versus, I really hope this is the worst thing he ever makes. <laughs> Oh, boy. Uh, um, see, so, context changes things. That's the whole reason why we do this show. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. I mean, like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I also on on briefly on Robert Rodriguez, I saw Hypnotic uh, recently, his latest movie. And I was asking myself the same question. Is this his worst movie? Mm, interesting. And it's it, the first hour is so rote and boring and like a TNT cop show that I was like, Robert, what the fuck? Like, this is bumming me out and then yeah. there's this crazy twist where i'm like ah hands in the air this is crazy okay cool i'm happy <laughs> uh, but nice st- still not what you were hoping for which is like oh shit is he making like a real movie you know right have you ever have you ever seen trance oh no i haven't with danny boyle i bet it's very similar to trance which is yeah. also a fucking weird movie weird movie um, that absolutely should not exist has a crazy twist. An entire, cra- an entire, an entire, the entire movie hinges on a character shaving their pubic hair. Oh, okay, yeah, very weird. Yeah. Um, and also okay. involves hypnosis. So, yeah, didn't he shoot yeah. that like during the Olympics or something? Like some crazy, like he had to pause halfway through, or like, some some crazy something Danny like Boyle that. shenanigans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was that. That was that era where he was like overworking himself big time, but also like no one knew that he was doing any of the things that he was doing because they like it was like he directed the Olympics uh, right. opening, and then he and then he directed that Frankenstein play, uh, yeah. where where John was it was it Johnny Lee Miller and Benedict Cumberbatch switching roles or was That's it right? Yeah, that yeah, no, was it was that um, two two Sherlock's switching roles as Frankenstein and Frankenstein's monster. You know that reminds me. It's worth bringing up. We aren't that we are looking at an imperfect, an incomplete picture of Judd Apatow's filmography because in this time, in the time between Forty Year Old Virgin and the Bubble, he also made um, the 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 two part Gary Shandling documentary. Right. He directed an Avett Brothers concert film. Right, and the George Carlin thing, and the George Carlin thing. So, like that could also. And it sounds like those may have been more the Gary Shandling one, especially because I mean he's like, like a mentor, almost like a father figure to Apatow. Yeah, and yeah. so maybe as he gets older, he's getting more out of those than making another comedy. Well, and also um, those by by sheer design, by by the way the documentaries work in post, they're all post. And (laughs) outside of like talking heads, they're all post and it is literally just him honing all of the material down into the best possible version of it. That's true. Which is very much his shit and very much sort of like a stand up shit. And so it makes a lot of sense that a a a former stand up would become a documentary filmmaker. Right. Yeah. And also like. The dad energy of like, I don't want to get up anymore. I just want to make this like five hour Pearl Jam documentary about how cool Pearl <laughs> yes. Jam is. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, um, my number six mm-hmm. is uh, this is 40. Same. Wow. Yep. Yeah. I think this was our biggest disappointment of the season. A hundred percent. Yeah. We went into the bubble knowing what we were getting into. Mm-hmm. But with this is 40, we were so excited to revisit those characters and that movie just gave us 
next to nothing, really. Yeah. It it really yeah like the I think you and I really found because like we we found our enthusiasm for that world for mm-hmm. Pete and Debbie and like the we were finding all these jewels that they kind of just left on the ground mm-hmm. of like you could have done this you could have done this why didn't why 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 was this the thing what's and it just it's not enough it's admirable to be like I'm just gonna make some slice of life vignette sketches about how weird married life is but like yeah. that doesn't make a satisfying movie i'm i'm honestly the movie is so unstructured that i i honestly wonder if it had a script at all like that's how unstructured it is like did it just have like a a uh uh, uh what's the larry david show um oh kirby enthusiasm kirby yeah did enthusiasm. it just have like a curb your enthusiasm script of just like bullet points of like this is what is kind of needs to be happening in these scenes but otherwise like let's just make everything up as we go along mm-hmm. um because that's what it felt like and that was the first apatow movie to kind of feel like rich people problems a hundred yeah definitely definitely um though i will say for this is 50 it would make a lot of sense because the music industry has totally crashed and burned right um, since since then i think it would be really cool if he made paul rudd a music documentary producer <laughs> that's great yeah he pivots and he's like no, i'm doing this yeah and he's like way more successful and it's like it's way more chill now you know because he's yeah. not so stressed out about people wanting him to do work you know oh man because that goes into like your idea of like you know focusing on Maude apatow or iris apatow and like they go to visit their dad and he's just like a retired he's a king yeah he's like whatever man i just like i'm making this documentary about grand parker and the rumor and like <laughs> we're good i'm just kind of waiting to, to die yeah uh, yeah <laughs> um, uh, that's what they should just, call the movie just waiting to die just waiting to die directed by judd apatow <laughs> i mean yeah actually actually that's a fucking great title for a movie about stand-up Wow, yeah, you're right. Just waiting he, to die. Just waiting to die. Yeah, like his Fablemans, you know? Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. That's what I want from him. I want his Fablemans. That's what I want. Yeah. But maybe he's not Maybe he's not there yet. Maybe he's not old enough. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Like, he's he's not even... He's, like, maybe 50, and that's still that's still young. Yeah, yeah. I'm um, sure. trying to think of just good stuff about This Is 40. Um, <laughs> just so we're not... <laughs> I mean, like, um, you know, this was the start. This was the start of the Megan Fox renaissance. Right. True. This yeah. was the movie that everyone was like, oh, you know, interesting. What? we were pretty awful to her for like five years. We, should, we yeah. should cut that out. Yeah. And then she got to be a new girl after this. And she was great on that. Yeah. Remember she replaced Zoe Deschanel while she was having her baby. I love I love creative ways to deal with your star being pregnant and having to leave, uh-huh. mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. No, it's good. Um yeah, pretty decent. I mean, like, you know, Leslie Mann's great, Paul Rudd's great. Both mm. both uh both Apatow daughters are solid. Um has one of the fucking maybe maybe the fun maybe the hardest I've laughed during any of these 
um, is is Iris asking if she can watch Lost, and Maude being like, "No, you can't handle Lost. You'll have nightmares." She's like, "You're my sister. I'm I, my life is a nightmare. I can handle it." <laughs> yeah. like, that was the fucking just this yeah. little girl saying something like that to her sister was the funniest thing I've ever heard. Like, every day's a nightmare with you, or yeah, every day's a nightmare with you. <laughs> um. <sighs> Yeah. So okay, seven six. My number five is going to be the forty year old virgin. Uh, interesting. This is this is where we differ. Just, oh, just, okay. Yeah, this is where we differ. But yeah, I see. I think. I, I see. But yeah, I think you liked my. You definitely liked my number five more than I did. Yeah, definitely a lot more than Bethany. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. I guess like I I said this in our episode, but like everything good about forty year old virgin is better in other movies. Correct. Um, no, you know what? No, you're. I no, no. I you're right. I'm gonna. I'm gonna say train wreck because. Okay. Well, there we go. That's my number five. <laughs> yes, I'm gonna say train wreck because forty. I, I in forty year old version. I still even now in 2023. I really, really love Andy and Trish. Yeah, and that just and like there's a heart to that movie that I still find really charming. Yeah, and I think train wreck. I mean like. Yeah, so my number five is Trainwreck. LeBron is great. Yes. <laughs> um, Brie Larson, great. I think yeah. she brings, she kind of is the Leslie Mann of that movie where she's so good at receiving the comedy but still grounding it. Yeah. Like, when he, when he, when she snaps at Colin Quinn about, like, they're both your goddamn grandsons, you know? Like, yes. But all the rom-com stuff is just, like, it's, 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 it's like being, it's like, uh, rom-coms, right? And it's like, you're not even as good as the movies that you're dunking on, you know? No. It, I mean, it's the bubble again. It's the same problem. Yeah, you can't hate it unless you love it. You can't hate it unless you love it. That's what makes They Came Together so fucking good. Right. Guys, yeah. if you haven't seen They Came Together, yeah, I mean, truly one of the best spoof movies ever made. Amazing. Um, it's it's unfucking believable uh, like they came books? together is an incredible movie, and it is because it loves rom coms. Mm-hmm. But it's also like, but we These can we can take the wind out of their sails a little bit, yeah. yeah. Like New York is a character, or like yeah, we, the the bookstore, yeah. yeah. Take the piss out of them a little bit, but like we love them, yeah. <laughs> or I was thinking about something more recent, even is uh, you know we talk about set it up quite a bit, mm-hmm. and that has like no shame about. Like we just want to make a comfort food, sweet rom com with these two charming young hotties falling yeah. in love, and we're not better than this. We are trying. We are we we are trying to make this. You know. Yeah, yeah. And I think a lot of that disdain comes from. It seems like it comes from Schumer of like, ugh, you know, mushy stuff. Yep. Am I right? And yep, yeah. She's got she's got a real uh, stick up her butt about like women stuff. Um, you know, like her and Lena Dunham both have that same kind of stick up their butt about that stuff of just like lady stuff. Like, well, I'll tell you what real women are like. They're like me. Um, this is my (laughs) story. This is, this is real womanhood. You don't know what you're talking about. That Hollywood shiny, glossy shit, you know? Yeah. They they both have that same energy. (laughs) And like, I think girls is more successful at like, oh boy, this is yeah, this is this is real, you know, or yeah. like this is going for but train wreck, it's it still has that veneer, that gloss of a Hollywood rom com. Right. 
but it doesn't give you the goods of like the meat cute doesn't make any sense and like their breakup doesn't really work and all this stuff. Right. And that but that's because he doesn't believe in that shit. Sure. Like Apatow yeah. doesn't believe in like a, a meat cute. He was like a meat cute. You meet somebody and then like you guys start fucking one day. Like I don't know. Like that's that's reality. That's real, you know. Sure. Yeah, for yeah. sure. And it's like that doesn't translate into making a, rom- a New York rom-com. No. No, I isn't it romantic is a better New York rom com spoof than Trainwreck Bro, is. Remind me which one that is. That's the one with um uh, the Australian uh what's her uh, comedian? Oh, Rebel um, from, Wilson. Yeah, Rebel Wilson, where she gets sucked into a rom com and yeah, like Yeah, we saw that together. Yeah, we did. We saw that together. Uh, um, R.I.P. the Arc Light. Yeah. Um but but yeah, I think my the other problem that Trainwreck has is like it is Doing the thing that I want him to do, which is that he's got a movie with a structure and everything. But the problem with this one is that it it is not co-written by him. It is written mm-hmm. by Amy Schumer, and he is a hired hand to direct it. And I think that I, I, I you know, I don't think it I don't think the animosity I don't think there's any animosity between them. But I definitely think that they were creatively butting heads because there's a lot of con- like creative contradictions throughout this. Mm-hmm. That don't that make the movie not feel a hundred percent like an Apatow movie, and certainly doesn't feel like an Amy Schumer movie. And you know, I think that she's very. Uh, I think she has a very bullheaded per- personality. I don't mean that in a negative way. I am also. I also have a very bullheaded personality. <laughs> um, I think that she has a very bullheaded personality. I think that Apatow also does, uh, but she's also not at the level that he is. So I think she's agreeing to stuff to do stuff in this that she's not really that into, but also like he's compromising on stuff that he doesn't want to compromise on. And then ultimately you get a movie that's just sort of sort of there and just sort of there. Yeah. It doesn't feel like it feels so unlike her, the movie she would go on to, even if this is technically and unfortunately maybe her best movie. Um, I think there's some good sketches in inside Amy Schumer. But I, I think I blame Trainwreck for the way the rest of her movies went, though, because I mm-hmm. think the lesson that she learned from Trainwreck was to not compromise. And as a result, we get movies without compromise that aren't very good, you know? Right. Like, I yeah. feel pretty where right. the premise is going back to that, like, like, oh, what if a girl wakes up and gets a magic bonk on her head and she thinks that she's hot, but it's me and it's like what you like a like a, a normal looking white lady that's like <laughs> right. rich and like a, yeah a movie like star, you know, starring movie in a movie star. right now yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um although you know kind of like the Megan Fox of this is 40 this is kind of the movie that introduced the concept of Bill Hader the sex symbol correct which which you know which is why it's ranked 5 and not below this is 40 for me <laughs> right right cuz cuz yeah at least bill, bill bill hater is carrying this entire fucking movie on his back uphill yeah. through the jungle like that is that is what is happening in this movie like mm-hmm. he is completely he is 100% responsible for the for the chemistry between himself and amy schumer amy is giving him nothing scene by scene she is like just acting her character and saying her lines and doing her thing and not really like she never feels like she's interact. She's not giving back to Bill Hader, but Bill Hader is constantly like reaching out and trying to like, 
make the movie better. Like, please, like I here, I'm, I'm giving you chemistry. Give me something back yeah. in return. Like, it's it's rough. It's a rough because watch. like her character, the character she gives herself is someone who is averse to connection and averse to yep. sentimentality, and. Yep. But then denies us the fun of like watching her slowly like get let her guard down around this like this nice guy that she's with. Yeah. She seems to think the only the the way to do that is entirely in the dance sequence. Like that's where you see that, right? Yeah. It's like this is I'm putting it all on this one. It's like, no, 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 no. The way rom com works is you build it up, you have them have a realization and take like five steps back. Only to yeah. realize that was a mistake and go back and, and cross the finish line. That's no, for sure. how a rom-com is supposed to work. <laughs> um, and, and she doesn't seem to understand that. Um, also, yeah, uh, John Cena crushes it. Yes, absolutely. I'll introduce the world to John Cena as a, as a comedic star. Yeah. Yeah. No peacemaker without train wreck. Uh, 100%. Um, 100%. I guess, uh, I, guess, I guess that leaves number four as four-year-old virgin then. Hey, that's fun. Four forty. Yeah. So there you go. Same. So, same for me. Yeah. So far, we have the exact same list. Crazy. <laughs> um, I can't see me watching this ever again, unfortunately. Neither. Um, but like, I love Catherine Keener and Steve Carell in this. Just a really fun, like, it's just fun seeing a, a rom com with like two leads that are over forty years old. Mm-hmm. That like have their life kind of figured out, but this have this. Oh, this person. I didn't see this coming. I thought this was oh, fun, you know, and like that age is really well. It's so he he drops the the 2000 sex comedy tropes like a hot potato after this one though. Mhm. Um, yeah. Like Rogan's not the best in this. No. Rudd's not super great in this, especially compared to like Knocked Up right after that, right. where you know. Like I don't think anyone's yeah. at their best form in this. No, no, they're not. And then, and yeah, and then there's like, there's a lot of like, you know, awkward transphobia, awkward racial shit, awkward, mm-hmm. like just a lot of um, uh, awkward homophobia. Just, just, yeah, just, just <laughs> right general right down the middle of homophobia. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, yeah, the, the movie doesn't age well. Um, I, I mean, I think I stand by what we said in that episode, which is that like it, 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 it skates by on all of that stuff because the people saying it are bad guys. Right. And sure, are, are sure, giving sure. bad advice and are assholes. And the movie is is just not making apologies for them. They're just it, the movie's just saying like, yeah, these are real guys. This is what this is how they talk. They're not it's good a, people, but they 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 exist in the world. Yeah. You know, and like going back to what you said about. You know this 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 was a movie made for its moment, yes. And that moment was like summer of two thousand and five, and yep. that when that came out, we, we we talked about it both of us how it felt like such a breath of fresh air at the time. Yeah, it. I mean, it was lightning in a bottle. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I want Carell to write another movie. That would be nice. That would be nice. Um, I think the I think the reason I, I, I think he's actually reaching the point where he might need to and that might finally light a fire under his ass and get him to because, um, you know, it's a yeah, you know, it's a great, great movie that I love so much. Um, he didn't write this, but Danny Crazy Real Stupid Life. Love. Danny Real oh, Life. Crazy Stupid. 
Yeah. Oh, both, both of those yeah. are great. <laughs> yeah, both of those are great. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Crazy Stupid Love is really great. I know people have issues with it because they find the the reveal that happens like halfway through the movie or, or a little more than halfway through the movie, like too convenient and I cheesy. And yeah. I, I just, I fucking love it. I think they earn it so hard. Um, mm-hmm. And it's the best. Yeah. And, and Dan, in real life, listeners, if you haven't watched it, it is such an underrated little gem. Mm-hmm. Um, just a quiet little slice of life movie about a, 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 a family and a guy just like looking for love and finding it in like a really unexpected place. Yeah. He uses pancakes as a pillow. <laughs> and I think, I think that poster turned off almost everyone to the movie. <laughs> yeah. That's what it's about, right? This is real Mr. life. Mr. Sleepy Pancakes coming to theaters. <laughs> uh, also, he's also fucking uh, uh, phenomenal uh, in uh, Little Miss Sunshine. Oh, yeah, for sure. He's such a so, good actor. So good. He's so fucking good. Yeah. He needs to, he needs to like get, he needs, he, yeah. I, I don't know if he needs a new manager or, or what, but like, I feel like I haven't seen him in anything really good in a long time. Yeah. Sometimes you get the feeling like some people are just kind of waiting for their kids to move out or like, uh-huh. like, okay, they're out of college. Okay. I did it. Mission accomplished. Now I could just like get weird with it. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, no, I agree. I would love to see him write something else for himself right now. I think that yeah. would be amazing. Because, like, I mean, like, we're we're dunking on forty year old version, but it's in our top five, and that has everything to do with like the reality and the heart that Apatow and Carell bring to Andy as a character. And it, and it's also that he went into this with a very well structured script. Um, yeah. And then and then did the thing I said where he he built the improv around the structure. And and you end up with a movie that's extremely solid as a result, um, uh, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know if he'll ever do anything like that again because I don't think he respects a screenplay um, <laughs> as much as he as he as he might have used to. You know, and it's such a you know you always know watching that movie where you're at. You're like, okay, they're on mm-hmm. twenty dates, or like, oh, they're gonna have sex. Okay, cool, yep. they had sex. Cool, movie over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, number three. Number three is tricky because uh, now we're only we're only in movies that I love a lot, a lot, a lot. Sure. Sure. Um, I got to this. I, I, I got to I got to do this. Um, I got to put funny people at number three. Same. I loved this movie when it came out in 2009. Like, yeah. And revisiting it, it's like it, it, it really hit me like a brick, how much I absorbed this movie into like my life for a while. And mm-hmm. the, my philosophy about choosing to be in show business and choosing to like have friends that are actors and writers and stuff. And all of it really that, all that stuff, it, it, it is almost even more poignant now than it was back in Oh nine. Like yeah. watching all this play out and watching now watching this movie in retrospect, now being like older than Ira and Jonah Hill's character, and I think Sandler crushes it in this role. Um, he's giving a great performance, like the scene where the remote's not working and he just wants to watch the game, and he's yep. like angry. Um, I love Laura. I think Leslie Mann's character in this is really interesting and nuanced and different than Debbie. Yeah, but it's really it really says more about how much I love my my two and my one. Yeah. 
you know, because yeah, we talked about our 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 pacing structure issues with funny people, and right, I couldn't in good conscience put this above my number two. For yeah, because for me, I think that that's ultimately what it is. I think that if if funny people were just acts one, two, and five, this would be his best movie hands down. Yeah. Um, the the messiness of the acts three and four, like diversion, um, where Ira just kind of is there, but he's like basically a featured extra for two acts of mm-hmm. of the movie. That's where I, 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 the movie like loses me on, you know, on, on allowing it to be any higher, but it's still like a, a really nice time. Like, yeah, you know, it's very long, but, but it, it, I don't know. I wouldn't say that it earns that length, but I, 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 yeah, like I like the diversion on its own as we talked about in the episode. Mm. It's just that like taken as a, as a whole, um, it, it definitely feels like a diversion that didn't need to be in this movie. Yeah, yeah. And like yeah. it affects my – it's such a great hangout movie, but then mm-hmm. you kind of are like, oh, boy, yeah, we're just kind of – and listening to interviews of like – it was intentional. It was by design of like – but then you we go over here and, he, and George tries to be happy, but then he can't and admirable, but it's like – God, this is so. This is maybe his most expansive movie because then it's it's also his autobiographical L.A. stand-up movie, right? Isn't it to date his most expensive movie as well? I think so. I think between Sandler and Janus and shooting in L.A. and yeah, the talent, right? And the length, length, yeah. <laughs> um, Ray Romano, great. Eminem, great. Yep, for sure. Eric Bana, terrific. <laughs> yes. Yeah, another guy who should do more comedy. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh gosh. Um so yeah, so my number 2 Scott is oh. King of Staten Island. Okay. I had to. Yeah. Um kind of like it 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 like this I'm like this was maybe my biggest surprise of the season of this mini series. Mm-hmm. Which is weird because like I just watched this three years ago, but yeah. I think watching all of his movies in a row and then coming to King of Staten Island really made me appreciate, like you said, God, it all just really clicked in this one. Yeah, yeah. I think also we were in a very different headspace when this movie came out in the in, in the <laughs> fall of twenty twenty. That's, that's, that's true. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a bit more clarity. Yeah, yeah. We weren't um, like. Well, it's weird. You know, the bubble is about people in that headspace we we're like i just want to laugh i just want to see so i just want to just i like i i think i watched this i don't know yeah yeah it, yeah. it was in front of me yeah absolutely um i don't want to get into it too much because i know i i want to talk about it with you but i mean like beautiful beautiful just like his most human movie maybe or you know and like mm-hmm. i love bill burr's performance i love marissa tomei um I think Maude Apatow is really stellar in this. And like, it it just feels like we talked about this, the movie where, where his actor had the most skin in the game. Mm-hmm. Like you're not just watching someone being like, I'm going to make a movie for me. Cause I'm a, I'm a star. It's like, no, I have to, I have some skeletons in my closet. I have to bury in order to like grow as a person. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Um, 
My number two is knocked up. Yep. Uh, and I think at the end of the day, it's it's just because it, it's only it's only number two because it's not perfect. <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, you know, I I I I love Knocked Up. I think that mm. Knocked Up is is really fantastic. Um, you know, uh, there was a there was a mention on the Discord about. You know, it was just like I was like I was like, oh my god, is it 2007 again? Of uh, of you know when that episode came out, people were like, like some somebody on the Discord was like, ugh, there's no chemistry between Seth Rogen and uh, Seth Rogen and Catherine Heigl. You know, uh, this is awful. It's hard to watch. You know, uh, mm-hmm. I don't I don't I don't like watching actors without any chemistry. And to me, I'm like, well, that's the entire fucking point of the movie is that they don't have any chemistry. That's the whole. That's the whole thing. And, mm-hmm. you know, what Jed Apatow is saying about these kinds of marriages and these kinds of relationships is like, isn't it respectable that they're giving it a shot? Like, you know, they had a moment of irresponsibility and and now they're trying to grow up together and and, you know, uh, uh, build a relationship that is, um, you know, they're they're trying to be better people. Uh, and and grow together, and I and I think that people, I I don't know that the movie does the best job of presenting that, and I think part of that is because um, Catherine Heigl is is very much presented as already having her shit together, um, yeah. and and that Seth Rogen, uh, his character is the the sort of um, you know somebody throwing a, a, a stick in the works of of her, you know, very like on its track life. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't I, I, and I think that I think the movie would have been better suited for them both to be like a mess in different ways and they help each other um, mm-hmm. grow and, and, and change. And I think then you would feel a little bit better about where the ending goes. But, you know, ultimately, like um, this person, I think it was Jeff on the discord uh, uh, said, like, so how long do we think before they get divorced at the end of this? And I was like. Guy, this question has been asked like every every time people since 2007, every time people rediscover Knocked Up, that's like the question that everyone has is like, how long before they get divorced? And my my answer is it doesn't matter. The, the what matters is that they're trying. That's yeah. that's the point of the movie is that they're trying to have a relationship despite the fact that it doesn't really make any sense but they brought this kid in the world into the world and they want to give it the best life because they care about the kid and and they both know they need to grow and try to do this and that is the point is that they're trying mm. they're not just giving up that's the growth that's the that's the character arc that's the mm. per- point of the movie is that they're trying um which is why i think the movie should have been <laughs> called something like that or something yeah. i don't know Instead what was of- the name we ended up coming up with <laughs> Oh, big, big belly, big mistake or something. Or no, like... no, 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 no. It was, um, uh, it was, uh, uh, oh, uh, do, do it or, or do, whatever. Just do it. Or, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. It's what Catherine Heigl says. Yeah. Like, yeah just do it, it. Just it, put it in. Yeah. Or, yeah. Yeah. It was, do, yeah, it was do it. Um, or, or doing it or something doing like that it. is what, what it's Yeah. Doing it's funny. Cause it's like they had sex. Right. Exactly. Um, I think I think doing it is probably what it should have been called uh, uh, instead of knocked up, because I think it would have like it would have like hammered home the point of the ending It's like it doesn't matter if they're going to succeed or not. What matters is that they're doing it. They're doing it. They're trying. And there's also they're Pete and Debbie. Right. Right. Like, yeah, sometimes we're going to 
we're not going to be in love with each other. We're not going to be into each other. But like at the end of the day, we're going to we're going to try and we're going to make it happen. We're going to we're just going to do it. Right. And at the end of the day, I think this is one of the best uh, acting performances uh, by Seth Rogen, uh, simply because um, this is a guy who has zero interest in being a father and having children. (laughs) And uh, I fully believe that he is actually excited when that kid is delivered. So, yeah, no, for sure. (laughs) Way to go, Seth Rogen. You know, it's funny. I was listening to you talk about how like Catherine Heigl's character, Allison, has her shit together and his character, Ben, kind of has to earn her. And right. it's crazy how much that mirrors Scott and Kelsey's perform Kelsey's character, you know, uh, uh, Belle Powley in King of Staten Island. Yeah. Where she is kind of his. There, did I tell you this in the commentaries? This moment in the commentary where Davidson and Apatow were like commiserating about his like the female characters or whatever. And Apatow was like, can you name a single per- couple in your life where the where the guy is cooler than the girl? And Pete Davidson was like, no, zero, zero, zero. The girl is always cooler than the guy, always smarter, always more interesting. And I was like, oh, you guys really are meant for each other. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. But that, but exactly what you're saying um, is exactly why, is the reason why the the King of Staten Island is more successful in my mind Mm -hmm. as as a film and a better film than Knocked Up is because... They are telling the same story in many ways, like in terms of what you're talking about, um, the earning of her, um, that that sort of coming of age aspect. But the difference is that in Knocked Up, Catherine Heigl is a full 50% co-lead of this movie. Yes, 100%. And that's the mistake. I think the mistake is if you're going to do that, you have to do it like King of Staten Island, where She's there, but she kind of goes away for a while. She is not a co-lead of the movie. The movie is Pete Davidson's movie. Yeah. So if you're going to do that with Knocked Up, then then Seth Rogen needs to be the lead of the movie, and he's not. Mm-hmm. And so if you're going to present a world where a movie where it's a co-lead, then she needs to have just as many problems as he does, but in a different way. And, and yeah. I feel like Apatow is just not good at making a complex female character because, right yeah uh, yeah i i think he would have needed a a female co-writer on knocked up to make that feel honest and so rather than rather than do uh, do dishonest he just chose to like barely write a character for her right yeah and he, and the copy you know in defense of lena dunham every single character on girls is a fully realized three-dimensional living breathing person that i think about and remember the way I do people I used to know very and true because she is able to be like no I can I, I can get into the skin of these women and write how they are fallible and selfish and ugly and immature and self-centered but also there's beauty to that but I think and I think something it's something that you know you and I can relate to as dudes which is sometimes we kind of like we put the pussy on a pedestal sure of like, yeah. wow, you're the best. You're, there's nothing wrong with you. And she's like, are you fucking insane? There's like a million yeah. things wrong with me, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I and I think I think the best way to have done that with Ka- with, with Catherine Heigl's character um, without changing the movie in a, in a massive way would just to like really hone in on the fact that she is very career focused, has no time for family, no time to like slow down and enjoy life because she's so focused on building her career. And yeah. that's what he teaches her is to like chill, slow chill. down, 
like chill. Like you got a cool sister, got a cool brother-in-law, you got cool nieces. Like we can just hang out and like, you know, whatever. But instead they like make a joke about him like playing fetch with the kids. Where like right. it would have been more interesting if he was like actually more into being like an uncle than she is into being an aunt. Yeah, yeah, cuz he's more like yeah, we could just talk about Lost or whatever, whatever, like, you know, blah, yeah, blah, blah. Yeah, because he's more or- immature than her, you know? Yeah, and, yeah. Yeah, and I think that, I think that like, having them meet in the middle where she gets a little more, and they do that a little bit, but I, but just not enough. Like, you have her, like, watching the, watching for the nudity in the, in the movie and, like, yeah. like all of that, but that's, like, one scene in a, in a movie that is loaded with, with scenes where she is older, like feels more mature and wiser and yeah. whatever, and is constantly putting him in his place. Um, <coughs> yeah. I really, really think we talked about this in the episode, but like respect to Catherine Heigl. I think she's totally like does, you know, solid work in this for what she's mm-hmm. given. But like, uh, man, Cameron Diaz as like, late 30s early 40s like oh my god i i slept i hooked up with this weird 23 year old kid i was gonna father my child yeah and like that's such a i kind of want to see that movie yeah it's also i never get to a point where i believe that she would not have gotten an abortion sure i don't know why she is having the baby i don't know why she is going that whereas someone like cameron diaz she'd be like if i don't Am I ever going to have one? Am I ever going to get to be a mother? Like, I'm, 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 right. you know. Yeah. In 2007, you know? Like- right, right, right. So, yeah. I, I think that makes more sense, I think. Mm-hmm. So you could have gone either way, I think. You could have gotten, mm-hmm. yeah, gone in either direction. So just to clear the runway, you know, my number one is knocked up. Yeah. Um, just because of, it, it's totally, totally subjective. Where sure. this just hits my nostalgia sweet spot. Um, this is, it just takes me back to that time when I was like, this was like the perfect movie for me, mm-hmm. but also like, I just, I love this movie's heart. I love the, it, the family stuff. I, it all just feels so warm and human and like Pete and Debbie, I just, I feel like I know them as a couple, the friend group just makes my heart feel so big and like watching them all hang out the part where they're like, are running to greet Ben after the baby's born and they're just so yeah. happy. Um, and also has to be said, this is the hardest I laughed revisiting any of these movies. Yeah, for sure. It's just, he was just firing on all cylinders, lightning in a bottle. Like when this movie came out. Yeah. Like even more than funny people, I think. Yeah. But I really want to talk about your number one too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's the King of Staten Island. Um, I, I truly, I think that this movie's fucking incredible. Um, and the more that we talked about it, the more that I like sat on it, even after recording the episode, I was just like, Jesus Christ. There was a point where I was, I was, uh, describing the meaning of the last shot to Bethany in the mm-hmm. car. We were like in Palm Springs, like dri- like we were driving down to Palm Springs for my birthday and I described the meaning of the last shot and I just started crying. Um mm-hmm. couldn't stop. Couldn't stop. Couldn't stop myself. And I I I'm just like I can't believe I'm crying over a Judd Apatow movie. That is unfucking believable. Yeah, um yeah. I think he uses the five act structure to uh, a perfect degree. Right. Whereas rather than in in the uh, funny people, he has that Mm. diversion right smack dab in the middle of the movie where it doesn't belong. Um, 
Instead, he pushes the diversion to the fourth act, shortens it, just keeps it tight in the fourth act, um, and allows it to be the impetus for change that lets the character cross into the final fifth act of the movie. Yeah, to the point where it yeah. doesn't even feel like a diversion, where like right. he wander- when he wanders into the firehouse, you're like, of course, of course right. it had to be at a firehouse. Right. Where his dad used to live and 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 fuck around, but also like go save yeah. lives and like yeah, he he had to understand on a one to one level and see the other firemen as humans, yes, to like realize he isn't that far below his dad as he's gone his whole life thinking he is, where he literally is unable to wear his father's clothes, right? You know, because I don't deserve yes. them. I don't, I don't, I don't deserve them. I'm not a hero. And then to see firsthand what it takes to be a hero and then to do it himself and realize how easy it is, Mm -hmm. you know, in terms of like, yeah, like you just do it. And then you realize that you did it and you're like, oh, I was just, I just did like a heroic act and it was like. It was like anything else I ever do. It was like taking my my buddy to the doctor or or whatever. You know what I mean? Like it was. Yeah, yeah. It was not. It was not something that I like. That was like this big moment. It was just a, a another like moment, and it just for his dad, it ended his life. And I think that like him reckoning with that over the course of this movie of like I don't. I don't deserve to even have a happy life because I'm such a fucking failure compared to my father. And over the course of the movie, learning that like his father, he's not that much different than his father (laughs) and that like his father was a fuck up and he just, he did this heroic act that ended with his life ending. But that's, that's not what defined him as a person. That wasn't his whole story. He is more than this moment that ended his life. That was, he that had become mythologized by his mom and other people around him. It was just like, he was like also all these other things. And even Marissa Tomei is like, yeah, I, I, I divorced him. You know, like he wasn't, he wasn't great for me all the time. And like, you need yeah. to realize that too, but he still tried and he loved yeah. you a lot. And he was like, yeah. Oh, it gives him the courage to like get on that ferry at the end. Right. It's, it really is like therapy, the movie. <laughs> no. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, yeah, I don't mean to make you. I don't mean. I'm not. I'm not trying to make you cry again. But like an, another thing I noticed after we recorded is there's this <laughs> fucked up moment where he makes he he's walking Bill Burr's kids to school and he's like, mm-hmm. "Kiss your sister, you know, kiss her goodbye." Yeah. And like, why? Like, well, because she might die. She might die tomorrow. And she's like, "I could die." And it's like, you don't know anybody could die. <laughs> and and he says in the commentary that his uh, mom would make him. He would make like you know like hug your dad, tell him you love him because you never know. Right. And it's like, oh, that's Scott. That's that's what he's picked up. That's his yeah. weird accidental wisdom that he's yeah. trying to impart on these kids. Yeah. Is like and he's like he's 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 very much the uh, Judd Apatowian man child, but the pain underneath yeah. this guy is just so much more real than it is for Ben from Knocked Up or George from Funny People, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like it's almost like Rocky, where you're just you're just rooting for this guy so hard. Yeah, it is, it has a lot in common with Rocky, actually. Um, you're you're and to say nothing of the fact that Long Island and Philadelphia are not that different. <laughs> no, yeah, for sure. <laughs> and like, and we talked about that about how like, oh, we love seeing characters that weren't just like stand-up comedians whose parents pay their rent, you know? Yeah, but like, 
people that are kind of on the fringes a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a beautiful, perfect movie. I wouldn't change a thing about it. Um, and, and it's the kind of movie that I will probably revisit, you know, semi-regularly for the rest of my life. It's a movie that like when I find out somebody hasn't seen it, I'm like, oh, you got to We got to watch this, you know? Yeah. Um, cause it's that kind of movie. It is, it, it is frustrating that. In a in a year when there was not a lot of options, the fact that this wasn't nominated for anything at the Oscars is like, oh man, no one understood this movie when it came out. Yeah. I feel like. I mean, and I think, and I think you you brought this up. I mean, I mean, and, and not to throw Ripley under the bus, but you know, like people that we think would like this movie kind of write it off because it's like, ah, Pete Davidson, I don't know, like, yeah. Or at this point, Judd Apatow was kind of fading in cachet of like, ah, he's a dude that makes those bro movies. And now he's making a movie with Pete Davidson. Like, yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Meanwhile, it's a it's a beautiful meditation on 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 grief and uh, <laughs> the the definition of heroism. And like, yeah, <laughs> like <laughs> it's fucking crazy. Accepting, it's crazy. accepting the love that other people are trying to give you. Yeah. And it's yeah. like not even a tearjerker, really. It's. It hits you yeah. after the fact. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a grower. <laughs> it's a grower, um, not a shower. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, and just, oh God, I just, I fucking love it. It's, it's one of the most beautiful love stories in any of his. I mean, it definitely is yeah. probably the most beautiful love story, um, in any of his stuff. because uh, mm. it's, it really is about. It's not about Pete Davidson earning her. It's not about Scott earning her. It's about mm-hmm. him earning himself. Like yeah. it's about him realizing, like, oh, there's is there's nothing wrong with me. I don't not deserve her. That's what yeah. he has to learn. He doesn't have... think he deserves her, but he realizes, like, oh no, no, no. Like I'm fine. Like there's nothing wrong with me. I deserve her right now. We can grow together. We can figure this out together. I love her. I want to be with her. And I want to show her that and then just fucking goes for it. And it's it's amazing. And and he, it does all of that without feeling like it's taking anything away from her. No. Yeah. And it, it's, you know, this isn't a two hander, I guess. Right. It is kind of comparable to, I guess, to Rocky and Adrian or we're like, yes, she's she's and like at the very beginning of the movie where he's like, no, I'm doing you a favor because like I would just fuck you up and make your life miserable because that's what I do. So I'm doing you a favor by not letting you into my life. And right. she's like, uh, that. I know that's not true because like I al- she already loves him. Yes. But he's just incapable of registering that and accepting that until he goes through this crucible in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, uh, uh absolutely. Um I think we'll we'll end the conversation there cuz I could <laughs> gush on about that movie forever, but sure. just to completely change the subject and put a capper on on this whole uh Apatow thing. Mm-hmm. Um if Apatow could go ahead and never shoot doggy style sex ever again in a movie, that <laughs> would be great. Um Yeah. It it was in every single movie from funny people on. Wow, you're right. Actually, no, it was in Knocked Up 2. From Knocked Up on. That's right. It, there was a doggy style sex scene in every single fucking movie. And I I, I was so over it. 
I guess because um, you can see both actors' faces in the same frame, maybe? That's why he's doing it 100%. But it's okay. just like, I I just... Oh, It just feels like yeah. the same joke every time that he does it. Mm-hmm. Um, where it's like the guy apologizing and her just being like, just shut up and keep going. Every, that, every that's time. what it is every time. That's the same joke every time. <laughs> uh, not to talk about the bubble, but the, the, the bubble had the most sex scenes of any of his movies, and they were all yeah. so awkward and dumb. Oh, so bad. So bad. Yeah. Um, there was, there was literally the doggy, the doggy style sex scene in that movie was literally like, I just, I could, I felt somebody like a producer or somebody going production value. Yeah, <laughs> like they're in a big, big warehouse. They're in a big warehouse on the set. And it's going to be a really wide shot and they're going to be distant in the frame and he's just going to be railing her. Um, I just, well, <laughs> yeah. not, not great. Uh, no, but yeah, uh, never watch the bubble. Check out King of Staten Island. Yes, and, uh, uh, and we'll be we'll be back to talk about Apatow again. Well, Scott, someday in the future. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we will. I think now it is time, Scott. Will you please do us the honor <laughs> of announcing to the listeners what we will be covering next week or after no, after a time? Yeah, we, a week after next. Uh, uh, I believe the date is um, uh, July fourteenth. Next yep. week is Asteroid City, um, our, our our Wes Anderson bonus episode. Um, it might not even be our only Wes Anderson bonus episode this year. Jeez um, Louise. Yeah, because supposedly The Wonderful Story of Henry Sugar is supposed to come out this year. An animated film. Uh, we don't know. We don't know if oh, it's Oh, wow. Animated. That's it's so crazy. It's just a Netflix. It's a Netflix movie. Um, um, so no so idea. Scott, that's, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> so Scott alluded to, you know, Apatow is kind of our swerve. Um, yes. Super grateful for our listeners who stuck with us and listened to these and maybe even watched the movies with us. Uh, we really appreciate yes. it. So kind of accidentally, we were like, well, let's do something that's like, for lack of a better word, a crowd pleaser. Yeah. Well, yes, but it's more complicated than that. So I want to mm-hmm. I want to I want to preamble this um, yes. a little bit. Um, Nick and I have talked about this for a, a while with this show. You know, this show. Uh, came out of how much we enjoyed doing the movies by minute format, um, but we're tired <laughs> and didn't want to yeah. continue doing that format because it's yeah. a lot of fucking work, um, a lot of time, a lot of work, and uh, uh, and so we were like, well, let's do let's do that. The parts that we love the most about doing movies by minute format, um, but do it on like a weekly basis, one movie a week, and and then and Nick came up with the idea for franchiseography, and here we are. Um, but there was always this thing that has been nagging in the back of my head, which is that like, you know, both of both Nick and I's movie by minute shows, uh, you know, Back to the Future Minute and the Cornetto Minute um, were both franchises in in different forms. Right. Mm-hmm. The Cornetto Minute is is, you know, that we talk about Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, The World's End. That is definitely a franchise. Obviously, Back to the Future is a franchise. Um in both of those cases, however, you know, we're less worried about them making another Back to the Future because, you know, <laughs> Bob, Bob Zemeckis has basically said over my dead body. <laughs> so yeah. I don't, I think it'll be a long time before we get another Back to the Future movie. Um, and, uh, and, and so we're not really worried about the idea of like another Back to the Future movie coming out and being like, 
do we cover oh, it on franchiseography or like do, do what we do, want a popular are, are podcast just, again? Yeah, like are we just gonna do it on Back to the Future minute? Like I don't want to do it by minute and and yeah, so like we've been talking about like how that awkward thing could happen or if like Edgar Wright, Simon Pegg, and Nick Frost made another movie together. How would we? What would we do? You know, mm-hmm. we've already covered it on Cornetto Minute. Like, are we just going to recover the same material? What are we going to do? So we've been talking about this because, because also another aspect of this franchiseography also came out of um, uh, 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 Wild Speed Super Combo, right, our yeah. Fast and the Furious franchise walk through on Patreon where we mm-hmm. sort of Nick did a lot of research for the for the Fast and Furious movies and I was watching them for the first time and we would discuss them and they were episodes that we put out on 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 uh Patreon leading up to the release of um of, F9 um, I think or Hobbs and Shaw. Yeah, it was Hobbs and Shaw. Um so uh you know that's another thing where it's like every time a Fast and Furious movie comes out I, there's always this thing gnawing at the back of my head where I'm like, I mean, it wasn't officially franchiseography, but like we kind of already did it. And like, mm-hmm. should we just cover them as both? Should we release those episodes on franchiseography and call it like franchiseography, like season zero or like something like that? You yeah, know, yeah. I, I wasn't sure. All that being said, um, I've been thinking about this for a while and about like what which of these franchises that we previously covered should we cover on the show again. And I think after talking to Nick about it, I think we both sort of agreed that the one that makes the most sense is actually the one that we didn't host together. Um, I hosted a movies by minute show called Spider-Man Minute uh, with my with my co-host Zach Luna um, and that is the that is the one that is the one that like is really gnawing at me bad because every time a Spider-Man movie has come out, I, I feel the urge to do something about it and talk about it. But that show was over because we only covered the Raimi movies and I didn't really know. I don't, you know, it's, it, it seems weird to put it on here. So um, that's what we're doing. We're actually covering Spider-Man uh, as our next franchise um, on Not the show. Not just the Raimi movies. Not just All the Raimi them. movies, the whole the whole kit and caboodle. So we are doing the Raimi trilogy. We're doing the amazing duology. We're doing uh, the home films, the, the trilogy. MCU films. Yeah, the home trilogy and the Spider-Verse movies. We're covering them all in release order. Um, and, uh, and, and that's what, so that's what we're doing. Now, the wrinkle to this, however, is that like... I did a lot of work into the research on Spider-Man Minute. <laughs> it's it's pretty good. Um, the show it's is good pretty content. good content. Yeah, it's good content. Um, and it seemed weird for me to just repeat what I'd already done on Spider-Man Minute. So when we cover the Raimi movies, for example, um, what is going to happen is there's going to be an introduction of between Nick and I talking about where we were when the movie came out, like we do, you know. And yeah. then it's going to transition into a clip show of the development of the film that comes straight out of Spider-Man Minute, co-hosted by Zach Luna. Um, and then, on the other side of that, we come out of it, and then Nick leads us through a walkthrough of the movie, and we discuss the movie and, and everything else. So there's a lot of new content. I think in, in both cases, there's at least 90 minutes of fresh, new 
franchiseography oh, yeah. content of us talking about the Spider-Man movies. Um, but those first three Raimi movies, that is the structure. Then the amazing Spider-Man films. Um, we did this thing on Patreon uh, last year, a year before, just before uh, No Way Home, the fall before No Way Home came out. Yeah. Um, we revisited the amazing movies uh, because I wanted to revisit them before No Way Home, and then and Nick was probably going to revisit them anyway. So we just like recorded this like bonus content for our Patreon. Um, what we're going to do is we're basically going to release those as our franchiseography episodes because I did a bunch of research about the production of them, um, and we walked through the plot of the movie, and we they were basically franchiseography episodes um, about the two amazing Spider-Man movies. So like, you know why why waste those we already did it we already did the work and i i, th- I think i remember that i know i didn't go back and listen to, i haven't listened to those two specifically but i remember they they were both really fun conversations yes yes absolutely um then when we get to spider starting with spider-man homecoming all of the rest of the spider-man movies we are doing brand new episodes of brand new research yeah you know brand new discussions we're gonna have guests like you know the whole the whole thing um all in on the on the Spider-Verse and and Tom Holland uh Spider-Man yeah. movies. Um we will not be covering uh and this is something that we decided with the MCU. We've seen people cover the MCU like in in phases like a television show. We've seen people cover, you know, we've seen them all covered that way. Mm-hmm. I think the thing that makes covering the MCU more interesting is covering them actually by franchise. Like I know everyone cover like considers the MCU, the franchise, but let's actually like bring that in and talk about like the individual characters. So yes, Spider-Man had his first appearance in Captain America civil war. We're not going to be talking about that because that's a Captain America movie. According to Marvel, um, it's really an <laughs> adventurous movie, but it's not a Spider-Man we'll there. Movie. Well, well, yeah, it's definitely not a Spider-Man movie. And, the two Avengers movies that he's in aren't Spider-Man movies either, so we're not covering those as well. We are specifically looking at what his journey across his films feels like without that accoutrement. Yeah, because um, I have a theory. Day, yes, I have a theory, and I because I, I was rewatching these movies and when I when I bought my No Way Home Blu-ray back in whenever, mm-hmm. um, and I was like, I think there's more, there's. You know, there's something to these. And I think John Watts was trying to say something with these three movies. And so I'm really excited to dig into those specifically. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Um, no. So the, the you know, Captain America Civil War, one day when we cover Captain America, that'll be part right. of that franchise. The Avengers movies, one day we'll do an Avengers miniseries and just cover the Avengers movies. Yeah. Because I think that's more interesting. Because, like, who talks about just the Avengers movies? Because right. Yeah, I think that's a more interesting conversation to like talk about them in a yeah. a bubble, if you will. Like, uh-huh. like if we ever wanted to do the Guardians trilogy, we wouldn't right. cover Thor: Love and Thunder or right. Endgame or Infinity War. Right. Um, we'll probably talk about them, but we're not gonna we're not gonna do a whole Infinity War episode right. just right. for Guardians. We're gonna do an Avengers episode. You know what I mean? It, yeah, it exactly. Exactly. So that's that's how we're gonna cover the MCU, and um, that is, uh, and we're gonna start now with. Uh, with Spider-Man. Um, it's also it's also like a fun sort of companion to our X-Men series. Um, oh, last yeah. season. You know. So I kind of like it. I like it as that as well. Um, and, 
Yeah, I'm I'm excited about it. I'm I'm really really excited about it. I don't think I've revisited the Raimi movie since we ended that season, uh, or, or since we ended the 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 show Spider Man Minute. I don't think I've I've revisited any of those movies. So I'm I'm really excited to to dig into them again and um, yeah, see if anything's changed for me or 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 right. what. Um, so I'm definitely looking forward to that. Nick, you haven't watched those movies in like ten plus years, right? Yeah, easily. If if not, yeah, maybe even fifteen years in some cases. Yeah. And so really and those, you know, just as Judd Apatow really informed my comedy nerd brain in high school, the Spider Man yeah. movies, I mean, they're the reason that I'm I still go to see every Marvel movie like the Thursday that it comes out, you know? Right. Right. Yeah. It's uh uh yeah. Cause you even, cause even when you were when you were a guest on Spider Man Minute, you you just watched the minutes that you were guesting on. Yeah, I did um, not watch the whole movie. Right, right. Um, your your philosophy back then was very much work smarter, not harder. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, how I've changed. <laughs> yes. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, I'm I'm really really excited to talk about Spider Man. Um, it's going to be our summer blockbuster season. Uh, miniseries and then that is going to uh, take us to our our next miniseries which will be The Mummy um, in the fall uh, our, our spooky, listener pick spooky I don't season. mind spoiling that because you guys know what's coming um, you voted just, for it yeah we're just letting you know when it's coming and it's coming yeah, we, on the other side of, of Spider-Man yeah and we were kind of like because uh, you know we were so so we had so much fun during March Madness and yeah when the mummy won, we were like, we didn't, the idea of pushing it back, we didn't want to like, uh, feel like we were betraying the listeners of like, hey, we because at, at first it felt weird to have two listener picks in a single season because Rocky was a listener pick technically. Right. And mm-hmm. then, and then we'd have another listener pick. So the original thought was like, oh, we're going to put it in season three of the show after we take a break. But that would push it into like, like a bare minimum like summer of of 2024 and that just felt like we would do another march madness before getting to yeah the the one that won this year and that felt weird so we actually we switched it out with a different uh mini series that we were going to cover this season we're pushing that off to next season um instead and we're going to do the the mummy um on the other side of spider-man and we were like i have a feeling if we do if we give them all of spider-man I think that will make up for us not getting to the mummy immediately. Yeah. Yeah. Um, definitely. Well, and it's also, you're going to take point on, on the mummy and, and you know, I didn't, we don't want to make you do take point on too many series in a row. Yeah. Um, that's tough. Da- that's, Daddy needs a nap. Yeah. And then we will have one more mini series on the other side of the mummy, um, which we're not going to announce right now. We're not going to announce that until the mummy's over. So, Long wait, but it will be our last mini se- mini series of the season of season two of the show um, before we take another hiatus uh, prior to uh, whenever we get season three launched. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, we're in our we're 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 in the end game. We've got three more mini series left this season. Season this is golly, it feels like season two has been like five years of our lives. Yeah, well, but then at the same in time, dra- covering Jurassic Park doesn't feel that long ago. That's true. It was only it's only a year ago. Yeah. So, well, a year that we recorded it, I guess. Right. That's true. That's true. That's well, true. and released it because we put it on Patreon first. That's right. That's right. Uh, yeah. But yeah. So, Spider Man. Mm-hmm. 
get ready. Yes. There, there's some good. I, I, I've listened to the behind the scenes stuff from Spider Man Minute. It, it, it ages so well. It was so great hearing Zach again, and like the, the work and the, 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 the information you found is still like really interesting, and and you guys discussing it is still really compelling. Yeah, yeah, I, 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 I agree. I think, I think, it, I think it turned out. I have to pat myself on the back, but I think you did a <laughs> fucking great job. Um, I will also say, uh, the crown jewel of this Spider Man season is a a long asked for long promised uh long long uh, uh assumed thing that should happen <laughs> should have happened a long time ago but it's finally going to happen uh Zach Luna will be returning to the show for the first time since our very first episode yep men in black he was our very first guest he will be returning to the show to cover Spider-Man No Way Home the return of Tobey Maguire's Peter Parker, um, and we will finally get to talk to him. Uh, I will finally get to talk to my Spider-Man Minute co-host about uh, Tobey Maguire Spider-Man returning to the to the fray. Um, yep. And uh, these episodes will also be dual posted. Um, every episode is going to post on the Spider-Man Minute feed as well as the franchiseography feed um, because I, that seems only fair. I don't know. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but uh, it's. It's 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 going to be an exciting time. Um, also, so so today on the Patreon, Zach and Miri make a porno. The time Kevin Smith tried to make a Judd Apatow movie. Um, mm-hmm. We're going to be talking about that on the Patreon today. At the end of Spider Man, uh, we're going to be doing Morbius, um, yep. which will be the first time I'm seeing that, and unfortunately, the second time we're making poor Nick watch it. Uh, yeah, eh, yeah. I don't hate it. I don't hate it as, uh, as much uh, as. Yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> That's good. Or maybe maybe uh, I just like Matt Smith. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Um. Uh, but yeah, we're gonna talk about Morbius, uh, a a a Spider-Man villain, uh, who who now stars in his own was trying to star as his own franchise. Ended up just uh, a movie. Um, yeah. <laughs> a movie that we tricked Sony into releasing twice. Yeah, and we'll probably never see that character ever again. Um. Uh, certainly not that iteration of it, uh, <laughs> but I wouldn't be surprised if we literally never see Morbius in a movie ever again. Uh, I think that I think that really uh, cooked the goose on that one. Um, but we'll we'll be definitely be talking about that. And then on the end of the Mummy, we're going to be talking about uh, uh, Stephen Summers' Van Helsing, um, which is a very uh, interesting and fun blockbuster movie that if. A year ago, you would you would aimed a gun at my head and said, "What year did Van Helsing come out?" I absolutely would have said, "Like uh, I don't know, like 2000 or something." But it's the fact that it's a movie that came out in 2004 blows my mind. That feels so late. Yeah, it almost feels like a movie that like should have come out in, like 97 or something. Sure, no, but the same summer as Spider Man Two. Wild, absolutely wild. Um, so yeah, so that's our next few. Franchise potentials on Patreon. That's our next few mini series. There's a lot to look forward to, a lot to chew on, um, and uh, hopefully you guys are as excited as we are. Yeah, prepare for the ultimate spin. <laughs> uh, but next week, Asteroid City. Yeah, uh, next week, Asteroid City. Prepare, prepare <laughs> for the ultimate spin, Asteroid City. <laughs> <laughs> All right, bye everybody. <laughs>